Hello, Zach. How are you? I'm good. How was the apple fritter? Oh, yeah. That was great. It, it was good. They, he suggested to warm it up in the microwave for a few seconds. I mm. I don't know, man. I just, uh, dude, I, communal microwaves kind of freaked me out a little bit. So I opted. Where was it? Um, Rachel's Donuts in downtown Hampton. Never heard of it. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. Probably uh, top of the top of the list in terms of apple fritters in the Ra area. Ra Rachel's, what'd you call it? Rachel's Donuts. There's a place in downtown Hampton apparently that's really good. I think it used to be called something else beforehand. I don't know. It's across the street from the uh, from Old Point National Bank. It looked it looked the part anyway. It was good. Up, it was good. Gr growing up as a kid, were you a collector of anything? I did collect baseball cards. You did. You did. Yeah, still have still have many of them. Really? Um, yeah. Where? In the where, where? In the they're attic. In, okay. in the attic, someplace. Um, Do you I think got about rid of selling those or anything. Well, you know, it's one of those things. It's like um, just the time that goes into it in terms of uh, I just don't have that kind of time. So it's just like I know they're not necessarily going down in value, or at least I hope that they're not. But have you ever watched the minimalism documentary? No. It's interesting. Like we have all these things growing up, attics full, garages full of stuff. Some some of the stuff we use, you know, like I know some people in your family are big fans of uh, that, um, you know, two months at the end of the year where you have Christmas trees up and lights. And I say two months because I know that the tree goes up so early, you know, you know, so you have all these things, you know, those aren't collectibles per se. Those are those are valuables. Those are things that you, you should showcase. But there are things as we grow up. And as adults that we, that we collect, um, and you know, I got my WWE belt somewhere back there, and I'm only going to ever have one of those. But we we do collect these things, and so it's interesting to see like what what people do with them after a while, because because I, I don't know what what they do, and not yeah, I used to have cards, but I don't know where they are. I don't know if I've thrown them away. In a yeah, move. I have. I should, yeah, I I should have, look. For I have them. some vinyl, some old vinyl. I have. Um trying to think what else I have uh, a lot of CDs, a lot of limited edition, like CDs that I bought. Wow. Um, like CD CDs. Yeah, you didn't throw those away? Discs. Dude, I have hundreds and hundreds of CDs. Man, I just don't have it. I don't have it in my heart to, to toss them, but um, I don't know, man. I, I wish that there was a, uh, a seamless process to like be able to monetize Something like that. Maybe Ricky's demand. Yeah, I hope so. Right. We're building um, <laughs> building a fantastic platform for collectors uh, to build communities around what they love and then buy, sell, trade uh, with their community and the retailers and brands that empower them. It's not really about the collectible. It's about the community and then, you know, really and helping you find more of what you love. So, you know, there's great platforms out there to book, to buy and sell. Uh, that haven't brought the community aspect with it. So, you know, eBay and Macari, where you traditionally go and try to sell something. Um, we think by bringing community and, and really having someone to talk to, uh, you know, from after you've bought it, you have someone to talk to uh, about it with. Um, we're kind of changing the game a little bit and, and bringing it back uh, to what it would have been as you as a kid, like you said, you know, with the baseball cards, like getting, you know, opening a fresh pack and you want to share it with your friend. Um, so that's what we're bringing to the space. Yeah. One of the things that I, I look back at and uh, I ponder from time to time, like uh, we'll go through the attic or something. And I have a, uh, an unopened pack of the Simpsons trading cards. And I mean, so at this point now, I mean, it's probably like 25, 30 years old, you know, but it's an unopened pack. And Dude, I, that's I worth know, a lot it, of money. But, well, that's what I'm thinking, you know, and it's just like, it, you know, it, it, is it? I don't know. Is it, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, man, in there could be, could be like some crazy. Yeah, rare definitely. Car. Right. So the, the wax pack era of the 80s was pretty exciting. Um, things like Simpsons, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the there other, you like, go, Zach. all those wax packs, um, you know. For us, the, the product we're building, we're, 
we're not focused on helping you uh, re like, you know, showing the collector like the potential value. It's about mm -hmm. building the community around what you love and sharing what you love uh, up front. And then the side effect of that is obviously yeah. you're able to sell things that um, are that have become valuable uh, to people that will care and love them just as much as you do. Okay. I'm going to use the same word that I used last week. So devil's advocate. So so how do you build a, a business around the community aspect of it when, like, is it, so is it just like they're there, they're talking about it, and it really has nothing to do with the actual transaction of that stuff? And so we should remove the transaction aspect, and if that happens, it happens. So it's more like, I don't know, play dates yeah. of these things, right? And so that's the thing. And then the transaction, if someone decides that they want to sell their, you know, Dungeons and Dragons cards, it's fine. That happens. The, 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 the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, you know, canisters of ooze, they can sell that if they want. But it's all about bringing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans together in a place. It's about bringing the fans together. And then, so the problem with people, like if you love something, if you love an IP, the problem with a, a lot of the things that you love that are hard to find, they're kind of locked down to the, to the people that love it the most, right? So you're, you're really passionate collectors that have spent years or decades collecting these things. That's the kind of the, the uh, warehouse of what you would really want to find has, has someone that really loves these products. Um, so, you know, they, eBay, uh, is kind of one size fits all and Macari is one size fits all. Um, and, and they do like selling, but for them, uh, paying that 15% fee is too high. Um, so a lot of the aspect, like maybe it doesn't fit the right product. Um, a lot of the things like we would do inside of click it, like selling, uh, you might sell a hundred things at one time, um, each with individual pricing and shipping and all the things. Um, a lot of that stuff's locked down by dealers and dealers really only like to deal with other like very passionate people. Um, so yeah, we're community first, but inside that community, anyone can come and build a community on click it. So, you know, make your click, uh, as you would, and you can invite the community and the dealers and the retailers and the brands that empower that community. Hmm. And we're focused on, so yes, we have per item transaction fee, but they don't have to pay it. So you pay it because, um, you know, in, in the transactional fee, you're paying it because it gives you the shipping, the insurance and all the other things, or it's giving you something beneficial, like in our, um, brokered trades. So we're going to verify the relevance of the items, make sure that it's real certified, uh, and then finish the trade. So, you know, we offer a lot of like advantages, but those are almost everything in click it is very optional, uh, to pay, um, but you as a like click creator, your click is fully monetized from subscriptions to uh, your merchandise coming through their brand deals and retail deals. And then, of course, the individual per item transactions. What's the uh, what's the genesis of uh, click it? How did you come up with, oh, with the business idea? Yeah. So I'm a lifelong collector. I've been collecting since uh, I mean, before the Internet. So I was on message boards on AOL and Prodigy buying Pez from Canada and all over the world. And um, it's followed me through my whole life. So I've collected everything. Uh, and, and I still do. And both me and my wife do. Uh, we, we collect really IP and not like individual items, right? So you might collect Star Wars and all things Star Wars uh, and, and have a nice little collection around it. But um, it's come from like all my problems with Facebook Marketplace, uh, eBay, all the things like that have one size fits all market. And then once you've bought it, you don't really have anyone to share it with, or the market is, um, so like in, in an eBay, it might be uh, too cluttered with things that wouldn't, that, that aren't relevant um, to what you love. So it, it's really come about like trying to solve a problem for me and other collectors like me that want to get to like the higher end pieces or rare pieces as you would, uh, and trying to find those. And then, you know, being able to share that with somebody. Um, so bringing that community aspect, having someone to talk to it with uh, or, or talk to it about. So one of the things, so I was in San Antonio a couple weeks ago for the Royal Rumble. I'm a big wrestling fan. Um, and I think I was telling Tim this, but um, they have all this memorabilia specifically that they've saved over the years. And one of the aspects of the event was they were going to showcase some of the, the memorabilia 
uh, of, of wrestlers who, who had wrestled. And there was maybe 15 or 20 pieces of, of stuff. So anything from the, the outfits that people would wear, maybe some of the old championship belts, th- things like that. And it's interesting. So that, that's a physical space that they had at this thing. And a lot of people think that they're going to make this WWE Hall of Fame kind of museum where they can have all that stuff. The, the challenge is WWE personally is trying to, as a business, I guess, garner all of that stuff back from their wrestlers from, from the past. And so they're, they're kind of trying to get their own little community. A and A and E has done like a, a show on them trying to get all these collectibles back. And so they, they might buy them from uh, a dealer or a, a fan, or maybe even another, uh, another wrestler. It's interesting how these communities of, of things work where people who are super passionate about this stuff, me, I, I don't I mean, I'm happy to walk through the museum, but it is, it is wild that you don't think about how, how big some of these niches are that people would be interested in and in seeing the stuff when actually there's a, there, there was a lot of people taking pictures, a lot of people walking through this stuff. I mean, some of the stuff was, I don't know, 30 years old Roddy Piper outfits, you know, from 1985. I mean, that's, you know, wrestling, that's a, that's, yeah, you know, 37 years ago, it was a long time out the gate. That's been our, our bread and butter right now. So everything in our beta right now is these like niches that you would never think of. So like one of them, for example, is Polly Pockets is mm. a really big market and you wouldn't think about it. And those communities have gone largely ignored in any other platform. So, you know, bringing um, passionate people like bringing those people that are passionate about Polly Pockets together in a small community. And you wouldn't think of that a little Polly Pocket is going for $100, $150, but, it, but they are, and they're trading um, really well. So, you know, having giving them an inclusive, closed space for them to share what they love and then bring everything. And, and when we say brands and retailers, we don't mean like Target, of course. We mean like um, there's a lot of it, like people that 3D print, like modern Polly Pockets that are like doing IP uh, kind of off the cuff and like bringing them in and, you know, um, display manufacturers, stuff like that. Like, it's things that really uh, support what you love. So, isn't yeah. My Little Pony big? Mm, yeah, yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I want to know the status of Beanie Babies. Oh my god! Uh, okay, so so one of the things um, Beanie Babies. <laughs> so so there's a lot of apps out here for collecting, and a lot of a lot. A lot of those apps tried to make collecting seem like an alternative investment, and it's not. Okay, like mm. there are antiques and collectibles can be an alternative investment, right? But when you get outside money into these spaces, it completely destroys the market. So as we've seen, like you know, apps rise, like whatnot, and others, um, they've poured VC money into the space, and that gets poured into the collectible market, and it'll it'll make a Slight boom, like Beanie Babies. Um, the latest one is, of, of course, Funko Pops. So you just saw, like, if you haven't seen it, they dumped $30 million plus uh, Funko, pumps, uh, Funko Pops into the into a dump. Um, so that's something, like, you know, when we say, like, building these communities around it and, and helping them monetize individually, we're just making them an easier way to do what they're already doing inside their communities and bringing them together. And we're not looking to pour, like, outside investment into it. So when you say something like Beanie Babies, right? Like that comes to mind is there are still people that collect Beanie Babies. <laughs> um, we actually, so in in the in Norfolk at the, at the mall, there's an antiques, antiques and collectible store. And we just ran into Beanie Babies last week there. We actually bought some. Because <laughs> they're like, <laughs> they're still fun, right? Uh, yeah. Right, they're not worth anything, but they're still fun. And, and they should be fun. And you should be able to enjoy stuff like that. I, you know, I, as we're talking about this, I feel like I'm going down memory lane as a child and I, I'm, I'm trying to think, I wouldn't be surprised if we have like a, a, a cabbage patch kit or something up in our attic. Oh my God. When you say, so my grandmother was like a hardcore cabbage patch collector and had a cabbage patch display room, like every single cabbage patch and Barbie from her entire life. Like, wow. yeah, we still have some of them. <laughs> like. I just I just googled Beanie Babies. On Etsy, there is a Thai Beanie Babies Claude the Crab going for twelve thousand three hundred fifty dollars, and Claude the Crab on eBay going for twenty eight grand. You can oh man, Thai Beanie Baby Peace Bear fifty G's. Wow. Or you can go to Walmart and get the Thai Princess Beanie Baby for twenty dollars and ninety nine cents. You, you can on get a sale. Book, from you know? 
So what we we have squishable we have a squishable group. It's just as good as a beanie baby, a lot cheaper for the most part. Right. So how does um so when someone creates a click on your platform, how how does that whole process work? Uh, is does the organi organizer of that click do they, are they able to monetize the group or is it they just are. Uh, so they're able to so uh what we call a creator. So a creator is someone that has some experience in running a group. So maybe they've ran a Facebook group and they have a social following, which right now we're looking for people with social followings of like 500 to 5,000. They're extremely passionate, right? In what they do. And maybe they, they have contacts with other dealers and they already kind of have an audience. That's the right person to come build a click uh, right now, like as, as we're going through the beta uh, to test. So they are able to invite uh, all their users, all their audience to, to their click. Um, and invite the retailers and the brands. So um, when they do invite them, there's a couple different ways they can monetize. One, you can have a subscription on your click. So just like Discord would have a subscription on your Discord server, you can have a, a subscription on your, on your click. Um, that subscription only gives benefits. It doesn't take anything away from the user experience. So you can still buy, sell, trade, everything that you could normally do. It's only additive. Um, and then there's other ways for them to monetize. They can send out like monthly swag boxes from their clicks. So instead of getting a normal invite, you can invite them with a swag, like a merchandise box. Uh, same thing, you can have your, your brand merchandising. So t-shirts, all, all, all your normal merch that you would, that's really promoting your community. Uh, yeah, per item transaction sales, right? And then of course, retail and brand deals. So now how does that work for us? We take 70, 30 on merchandise, we take, uh, it's 90 10 split with 90 uh, going to the creator, 70 going to the creator on merch. And then uh, we do a 20% revenue sharing on the per item transaction sale. So when you, when you think like, how does that work for something small, right? So one of the smallest groups like yo-yos, I'm, I'm like a hardcore yo-yoer. All right. So yeah. one of the smallest groups, 5,000 people rolling through 15 transactions a day, but our GMV sits around two to $600 per transaction. Which, what does that mean to, to the creator of that market? That's about $80,000 a year in income for them on a 1099. So something with only 5,000 people just selling yo-yos, very small transaction load, is making them a full-time income just for run, just for being an admin moderator of a community that you would have done for free on Facebook. Wow. So, so the I, I see on... Let me restart. The website looks amazing, by the way. I, I yeah, remember when I first went clean. to it, I was like, it's really nice. So there's a cowabunga group with 14,000 people in it. Is that is that an accurate number? Or is that just like a display number for you guys to try and um, so Those are display numbers. We have our, all of our... So we, we took a lesson from Nikita Beer. And we uh, he, he did gas. And um, so we've spun up full groups a few different times with uh, to, to kind of get feedback, see what they really want, what the community wants, what features they want. And we take it down, we rebuild it, put it back. Um, the reason to do that is we've, we've like gotten through our product market fit like extremely fast. Um, we're not, you know, not a big team. So being able to iterate quickly on what they want and what it, it's. Uh, so we're a three-sided, it's really a three-sided marketplace uh, for us. And, uh, and the uh, at every one of those, we have to give benefit, right? So from dealers we're dealing with people um normally uh in their 40s 50s even 60s that that have the product locked down that we need to offer overwhelming benefit to get them into the app um right our creators run from really about 18 to, to 30. um and then you know our buyers like how do we get anybody outside of the click can they get guest pass like so there's a lot of different pieces we tried to pull together and the way mm -hmm. to do that was to test each one individually, spin it up, bring it down, keep adding features. So, so do you have to have do you have to have something physical, like as a fan? So could I start a wrestling um, click? Are there it, like do I have to have something? Could I just be a moderator of of that? No, you, like yeah, absolutely, you can be a moderator. So every click has the, the actual creator, and then it has admins mm -hmm. and moderators, just like you would in any other group. Mm -hmm. um, Everything it's it's very democratic. So we have programmatically enforced rules, and then the rest of it's pretty democratic, like actual voting inside your groups. Um, and creators can be you you can 
pasture group along. So one of the things that's that's been a problem in the past is you'll get someone that we had like really active Facebook groups that are, you know, buy, sell, trade, and they get abandoned. And then no one really takes it over. It's still running, it's still going, but there's no one in charge of it. So make sure, you know, cover down for, for those issues. Um, but yeah, no, you, you don't have to have anything physical. You can come in, just love the product and do it. Mm -hmm. Same with um, every single community has guest passes that you can give out. So if like, you know, you had baseball cards in your attic, you found the right group that you think is the place to sell it, you can get a guest pass to that group, come in and you can, you know, either buy or sell your product. So uh, every group's able to give out guest passes and it's up to the group how long guest passes last for the group. So it's time to get in that attic, Tim. <laughs> right. Where do you stand on like uh, like things like firearms or guns? Is that is stuff like that allowed uh, no, on this uh, side? No. Um, so, because yeah, that's that's that just a super highly traded yeah. type of. So so right when you say that so um, and there's kind of two sides of antiques and collectibles, but you know they kind of lob them together all in one single market. Um, the biggest things inside antiques and collectibles right now that makes up 50 plus percent of the market is actually coins and it's followed by the rest of classic things and toys in the spot we're in right now which is like pop culture toys all those right that's a very small sliver of the antiques and collectibles so what you see today like when you go to click it and you see the very pop arty that's for that piece and then we have a different skinned product which we call click it black for real collect like for antiques and collectibles so um like I collect uh, gold and silver as one of my alternative investments and I collect it pretty heavy. Um, and I love looking for like weird stuff. So it, it was one of the things, you know, we wanted to do, but it wasn't like having the one app wasn't that place. So there would be a place maybe later for antiques, like antique firearm, never, mm -hmm. uh, not modern. We're not, yeah. that, um, that's, that wouldn't be our bread and butter. That wouldn't be right for us. So it'd be things that are antique and collectible, which I do mm -hmm. have like, so you're talking about a firearm older than 100 years and all those things. Um, yeah, the Click It Black might be the right place for an antique firearm. There's no place right now for for that kind of... I could see... So so when you say that, though, uh, weird thing, like fly fishing, right? That's something you wouldn't think of. Or decoy ducks, right? Decoy ducks are hot, and they're, like, they're very collectible. <laughs> So you wouldn't think like a, a wooden car painted decoy duck or something, but that would be a, that'd be something appropriate. Wow, to have a clip for. Are you following uh, the the whole uh, pending trial between uh, Reddit and the uh, Wall Street Bets person that created it? No, no, but I, I followed I followed a lot of that, <laughs> um, like how they so, they're doing the shorts and stuff. Yeah, I mean, granted, I only. That's the one heard... that did the GameStop thing. That well, he was GameStop the one that huge? started the whole uh, um, AMC uh, yeah, stock yeah. stuff to try to <laughs> initiate a short squeeze. Well, granted, this is hit. I only heard his side of the story on a, on a podcast. But what happened? What, yeah, what, he, what he's claiming is like so he created uh, the the subreddit uh, Wall Street Bets. Uh, created this giant community, were able to do all sorts of, uh, of whatever they did. And then what happened was uh, he went, uh, what was happening behind the scenes is that Reddit then trademarked Wall Street bets and prevented him to monetize like T-shirts and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's just, it's really, really interesting as I'm hearing you talk about your different communities that you're building or whatnot. And, uh, you know, if that is the case, that's pretty shady on Reddit's part to, uh, unknowing or yeah, for at least them knowingly unknowingly to the the organizers of it to trademark it and prevent them from monetizing uh some of the subreddits you don't think their terms and conditions say that they own all the content in there therefore well, they can do that I, i'm sure they do i'm, I'm sure <laughs> everybody that's, right that's the first thing i thought of when you said that i was like well i mean don't they own all that doesn't I mean, facebook just, own uh, everything that you post i don't know so we're looking at like I look at it as more of being a software platform. Like, yes, we're right a social marketplace, but I really want to stay in the area of being a software platform. And we'll get to the point where we can add third-party integrations and API integrations for, like, you know, pulling pricing guides and all the other stuff. Uh, mm. we have that in our pipeline. I I don't want to get in the like 
right? I want on like on real entrepreneurs, real people that love this stuff to be able to monetize their passions, you know? And that, that's something like, you know, when you listen to Gary Vee speak, it's like, you can always monetize something you love. And I want you to really be able to do that. And that's yeah. why I built this product. It's a platform for you to come really do it. Now we work with them. When, we, when I say branding, I'm working with these creators that are building the clicks. We're branding you and your, and your click like just like you would like liquid death, right? So it's about, um, I grew up as a skater. Uh, I still skate. Um, Me too. Uh, right, well, right I don't still skate, but I grew up as a skater. Board, <laughs> yeah, board so, or blades? Well, uh, well both, but I, I actually still rollerblade, which is like a whole nother. So that's, that was one of the big things of doing this too. We have a rollerblade group uh, to sell blade. Like you wouldn't think used blades are a hot market, but they still go to, you know, two, $400 like 200 to $400 per pair of blades. It's crazy. The whole thing. Um, it's a very niche industry, but I grew up like you, you would represent your clique, right? Like in your group and you, you know, like in the nineties and stuff, you'd have your shirt or early two thousands to like really represent. And that's something I wanted to be able to do is like really represent your kind of crew. Like, so, you know, you're really passionate about what you love, represent it, you know, wear the swag, like, and, and that's what we're helping them do. So, these people, you know, the creators may not be, you know, for like brand thinking, but that's what we want to help you do. We want to help you build a real business on this platform. Um, and we're taking, you know, obviously we have to make money, but we're to take we're taking responsible cuts of that money, and we're and we're you know cutting our costs by just smart engineering and really, I mean, really lean. I call it lean in engineering, honestly. It's so. uh... One of I, one of the companies I, I, I had an opportunity to participate uh, in a an investment in a company uh, and I passed. Uh, so the company's called Soul Savvy. I passed because it's a community that's built on top of Slack. And so, like one of the things that always concerned me, man, is like if Slack decided to change, you know, their terms and conditions, you know, then essentially that that could shut down the uh, the entire that entire business model. And then, you know, sure enough, they like, I think it was summer of 21. They went on to raise a, a $12.5 million Series A. Um, and I'm not sure if the platform is still on Slack or, or not, but yeah, that I like what you're doing in the sense of uh, that, that eliminates having to build the community on top of something else that could be taken it, away. Yeah. And, and a lot of people have. So a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people, um, Sorry, a lot of communities build on top of Slack and then they'll move to Circle. And then, you know, um, you know that, that's hard. You, uh, the benefit is in the community and you can always take your community elsewhere. Uh, we'll get to the point of being, uh, you know, later through, as we grow, we'll get to the point of being more like a, a Shopify product. You'll come, you'll spin up your click, your group, and We'll have a million third-party integrations for you to take it out. If you want to go build your own platform and use our APIs to power it, I, I definitely see us getting there. Um, I wouldn't, you know, has a grown up as a software engineer, like I don't want to lock you into a platform. Like, yes, you know, I, I know there's defensibility in locking you in, but I do want to be able to offer you, like, if you want to build your own portal, we'll get there. Well, but well, um, go ahead. No, that's one thing that's really interesting about you that I want to ensure that we touched on before we, uh, the show ends is that you're a technical founder, and that's 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 rare. Um, talk, take us down that that journey in terms of how you Ooh. got the technical chops and uh, yeah, how things are going for you uh, in that regard. Uh, my background is crazy. I grew up, you know, and obviously in the '80s, like learning like. I wanted to be able to modify games and that's what got me into programming. So, you know, learning uh, basic and all that and like learning to modify your video games really got me started. And then um, in the, in the late nineties and early two thousands uh, I, I was doing web and of course you had the dot com, dot com bust. Right. Um, I ended up in the Navy, but I, I, I still did computers for the entire time um, kept current. And I left the Navy after 15 years and immediately like I left with the intention of doing a startup. Uh, but I wanted to get really great experience. So I, I took two full-time jobs out the gate as I left the Navy. I worked two full-time like software engineering jobs, uh, building startups from zero to one uh, for the last five years. Um, with the latest product last year being Book Outdoors, I built a fantastic booking experience for outdoor travel. 
Um, so I've, I've really like cut my teeth and like doing everything from zero to one, growing these startups to normally like a series A, series B, uh, and then leaving and going to finding another challenging problem to, to build. I wanted to make sure that I, I could build what I envisioned. I knew I wanted to be in the collecting space I, or I wanted to build, you know, a product in the marketplace space. It's something I've always enjoyed. Uh, and then I always enjoyed like um, when I went to college, uh, I worked at the is called S Bank, but Small Business Advancement National Center. They did they did um, like data analysis for small business uh, small businesses uh, in our area. So they would come in and they would you know ask all the questions, uh, where's the right place to start, all, all those things. So I got my like early entrepreneurial experience from that, like working that that there for two years and doing all the data for them and helping other entrepreneurs like really early uh, in my teens, like really put that spirit in me. So I knew when I left, like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, building marketplaces, one of the problems I've had is there's nowhere to build one. Uh, there's nowhere to, like, just spin up a full, like, eBay, right? I want to spin up my own eBay with Discord or my own looking, like, eBay Etsy with a community. Can I do that? And the answer is no. So that's what I built. Um, I wanted people to easily spin it up with a, a name, pretty much, invite some people and get it going. And, and that's what we've built out. Uh, so, yeah, background's been really varied, been really busy for the last five years. But, uh, yeah, I think it's paid off. You mentioned zero to one multiple times. What does that mean? Oh, um, so all of my experience in the last few years has been building it from, like, uh, from, you know, Greenfield. So everything brand new from, from the beginning. So sitting down with, you know, the co-founders, I'm usually the first in. So the first uh, engineer into the company for early stage startups and building the entire product from scratch. Uh, and then, you know, helping them build the early engineering team um, and, and really build out a great product. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, Zach? How many, I mean, there's, there's, especially in our area, I think that's one of the struggles we have is there's just not a lot of technical co-founders. Um, you're, you're one of the few. And so many people rely on, uh, they need that technical help um, that. Well, people have an idea. I think, I mean, that's the, like, I, I, you know, whenever you preface something with the, what I'm about to say means that like you, I mean, no disrespect to the people who are about to do this, which means I'm about to disrespect the people who do this. <laughs> but it's, it's like one of the biggest challenges is if you have no skill set in starting one of these web businesses and yes you can go out there and pitch it and whatever but if you don't have a legit person on your team if you have to outsource that right. actual thing if you have to outsource that actual thing with your with your dollars and then you get it out there and then something goes wrong and you have to wait three to four weeks because the person you, you know your outsource team is is overseas like i i just i don't i i don't know that i've ever seen success in that kind of way yeah and I think that a lot of people over the last, maybe not as much as it was even five years ago, but that 2008 to 2015 timeframe, it's like everyone had an idea. And instead of having a midlife crisis and buying that Corvette or that Tesla, they put that money and they spent the 50 to $100,000 on some outsourced team that absolutely produced garbage for them. And they've had zero results from it. And I mean, I could probably count a hundred different people that had these things they say oh you know it was this fault and it's like actually i think it's it's a lot more than just that one thing that you think but yeah like having a technical person on your team being that technical person i i just like i personally would never go and be like i'm gonna go outsource this thing i'm gonna go spend 50 to a hundred thousand dollars on this thing like there, there's too many red flags that screw you right. up all the time and it's just like, guys, stop spending money. Stop spending money. Stop spending money. This is this is a bad idea. Maybe you get maybe if you could figure out a way to spend two grand to outsource something to really get it baited out there to see if you know you can build a little something, maybe. But that's the only environment that I see. That's the only kind of scenario I see where it might make sense. But you'd be better off taking that hundred grand, taking some technical classes, teaching yourself to code to get that thing out there. But they don't want to do that. They think their idea is worth billions, and right. your idea is worth absolute garbage. Well, Ricky, you Sorry. touched on uh, you touched on 
product velocity. You didn't use that phrase, but you said you're constantly putting new features out, which is yeah. product velocity. So, and you're able to do that as a, as a technical founder. You, you need to be able to make a hypothesis, hypothesis and, and test it quickly, right? So I need to be able to test something, um, get feedback, and keep going. And you can't do you can't iterate that loop fast enough with an outsource team without you being product. You really like even being just a technical founder is not enough. Like if you're co like you know you need you need a product focused co-founder if you don't have one if that's not your wheelhouse too. You have to have somebody that understands breaking down a problem into something someone wants. So, you know, it, one of the hardest things I find is finding developers that can like, hey, follow this process, follow, uh, you know, a piece of paper going through an office and then automate that into a piece of software. That's what a lot of people think software developers do, but most of them can just, you're just a coder, right? So having that early product person that can translate the person's problem into a product and then building that quickly, um, you can't, you can't really do that um, outsourced. You could if you have, if you were really, really, really strongly product focused. But that's not a great idea. Like in a tech-focused business, your tech business, if you're not... Not in the velocity that you're trying to do. Not in the speed that you're trying to do. I mean, it's like, hey, I have an idea. I want to release this tomorrow. See if it works or not. Like, that's if it doesn't work, take it off. If it does work, iterate off of it or, or, yeah. or add to it. It's like, that's that's impossible from a an outsourced it, it's perspective. It's too expensive. Even a cheap software developer, like even cheap people. Even outsourced is $40, $50, $60 an hour, right? Outsourced to, to like Europe is, is usually still sitting at 60 bucks an hour. South America has no change from pretty much American salary. You're still paying them 100 grand. Like, yes, you can outsource some. It's not going to save you any money. If, if you, you know, spend 100 grand, you get only what you ask for. So my, like, I've worked with, we, we outsource now, um, and you get exactly what you ask for. So you have to be very careful what you're asking for. And you understand how to give them feedback and guide that process. Are you going to get a bad product? And yeah, I, I, I would not recommend, uh, or, well, I mean, I completely agree with you, right? So like spend a hundred grand learning. And if, if you're willing, honestly, how are you going to, it's not that you need to know how to do the job, but you need to know how to assess whether when you hire a technical, you know, co-founder, or you're hiring your first tech person, your first software engineer, you need to understand how to kind of assess that person and the job that they're doing. They should at least be able to do the job better than whatever you can do. So, yeah, standard uh, Q&A is not good enough. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, where, where do you, uh, yeah. Where, Ricky, where do you go to, to, to learn new skills or to keep your skills sharp uh, in terms of a resource? Um, so I listen to a, a ton of podcasts and... Of course, YouTube as always, but uh, these days I'm in the docs. So I'm in the docs, and every every single product I use, um, for me, uh, a lot of the products I build now and, and click it is built on it is Versal, Superbase, all those. So you're in the docs, you're in their launch events every single week to stay with the latest and greatest that they're doing. Um, what is that? The docs? What does that mean? Like the documentation of these, Got like the, the languages and stuff that we do. Now, product, I look at you know. I'm also a product, so uh, I look at the best companies and what they're what they're doing. And to be honest, with product, I study classic Apple, classic 1980s Apple uh, product. Steve think, Jobs was uh, was there anyone better than Steve Jobs in product? No, I don't. I don't think so. Like you know, when you talk about every, everyone says today, get customer feedback. He didn't. You know, when you look at the greats, they didn't get customer feedback because they were creating their own market category, right? Uh, Even to the packaging. I mean, the pack, they, they, they completely changed the packaging. I mean, it's just like, instead yeah. of putting it in a, in a cardboard but, box and being right. like, take that's, it. That's, they, that's with a, an experience I mean, within itself. Yeah. I, I think as you said that, Tim, I was like thinking like, who could it be? I actually think, I think Vince McMahon and, and WWE has done a really good job of, of, of packaging their stuff. Like it's, you, you don't turn some circus into, you know, a $10 billion minimum business, which is probably what they're going to sell for. I mean, like there, there's something special to, to that from that. I mean, I think there's Nike probably too, like, the, yeah. but the big guys, like, like it's, it's the big guys and the, and, and it's from top to bottom. And I mean, maybe even Tesla, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think Elon is Elon's a product guy. Um, it matters because if that thing is ugly, oh, then huge. that's what people are going to start doing, and it's just like, right? Yeah, like I, 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 I remember when I first looked at um, your site, Ricky, and I was like, oh wow, that, that, I think that was my first thing that I said. I was like, wow, the site looks really nice. Like you put a little bit of time into that. Like it, it's it's beautiful, and it, like yeah. I was like, oh okay, this is what I think he does. I don't know, but we're gonna find out in a couple weeks, and it. That matters. Like if 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 your thing looks like crap, people are. Um, I, I think they're going to think of it like crap. What one of the great companies lately to me has been Liquid Death. The fact that you took a commodity. He's a, yeah, like he is a water. marketing branding savant. Oof. I mean that yeah. dude is. It's amazing. It's amazing. And the, pro- and the product sucks. <laughs> well. It, the taste. Uh, yeah. have, you, have you listened? Yeah. I mean, his podcast was great when he was on this week in startups, you know, and he purposely yeah. chose water because it's the most boring product out there that uh, it was like, if we can, if we can re revolutionize how water is sold and, and man, my hats off to him. It's just wild. So is he selling that stuff for 20 bucks at the amphitheater? Yeah. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Unreal. It's it's fifteen dollars for a case. Like that's impressive. You took something that's four dollars a case and made it fifteen. I mean, I know, and I go to because I'm cheap. I go to Costco so I can get it for two dollars a case. <laughs> a can. Well, I yeah. Well, not a case. You can get a case of that stuff. A oh no, I'm talking about. I go to Costco to get a case of plastic water bottles. I see. I because see. I'm so cheap, and it's just like man, it's wild. So one thing I would say right now, right? It's not enough to have a good product. You have to have the ecosystem. And that's something like early Apple taught us, right? You know, liquid death isn't just water. It's a community, it's merchandise, it's everything. So you have to come with an entire ecosystem with a product today. And I think that that's where a lot of like early stage companies are kind of failing on that is they're not bringing an ecosystem to go with it. You have well, to have. It's, it's super fascinating because like the cans are cool and it's something that the kids can feel comfortable with holding if they go to a party and if they don't want to be the ones drinking, you know, I mean, it's just like just that within itself. I, I always mean, it's thought just... it was alcohol. Right. <laughs> Bro, like I, I like I always thought it was alcohol. I don't think I knew it wasn't alcohol until you told me it was water six months ago. <laughs> like, I, I mean that. Like, I was like, wow, and that's not, part of the that's this. part of the genius behind it all. I mean, it's just it's wild what he was able to do. <laughs> I, I'm I'm interested. Actually, I like I, you said something that so many people don't do, Ricky, and that is you look at other brands and you try mm-hmm. to adopt or at least understand and peel back the onion of what they do. Like, I feel like I do that all the time that's like all I do is I'm like okay let's look at this let's dissect it and then let's see if there's something there that I can do myself or you know uh, provide to to one of my clients or 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 to talk about here is that just something that you picked up on is that you got advice on on that from someone like how did you start adopting that process because I would think I I believe that like 99.9% repeating people don't do that and that's one of like the like it's just such a flaw in your system um I'm a uh I grew up as an artist too, right? So I'm like a classic painter, like an oil painter. And one of the things you always do is you copy, right? You copy the greats. And when you teach yourself how to paint, you literally copy. Like old school, like you're painting like classical realism. You literally would go through copying statues and you copy a real painting. And, you know, that's how you learn. So when you're looking at the world, like you always, you know, whether whether it's taking it from art and I'm copying like someone in art and bringing it into my own style, I mean, that's how you continue to push the envelope. And I do think things come in like, they come in groups, but you always want to look at what other people are doing, how you can do it better, kind of just tweak it a little bit, maybe make it better for your product. I, I think that's just the way to stay ahead. I mean, you're killing yourself if you're not looking. I don't believe in competition. So I, I don't believe that you need to sit there and worry about your competition. You don't, right? Agreed. You can't make a great product. But you should pay attention to what they're doing. And, and how it's being received, because especially, you know, in an early stage startup, you know, now like something like Liquid Death, they have hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars behind them. Something like Whatnot with, that just went through a hundred, you know, $200 million funding round. You know, what are they doing and how is it being received and how can you use that? Right. I, I'm on a, we're on a limited budget. 
right? I don't, I don't have a hundred million dollar marketing budget. So how can I take what they're doing and, and seeing how it's being received and bring it down to my level and how can I reuse that and save money doing it? They've already done the research for you, like Apple, right? They've spent hundreds of well, billions at this point on UI UX, you know, studies. Read those. You know, studies. Burger King. Burger King doesn't actually do market research. They just go across the street from McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, it's the same deal as uh, yeah, Home Depot and Lowe's and uh, all that. Always, stuff, man. I mean, it's just <clears throat> yeah. That's oh. Why, why do you think? And maybe both of you can answer this, but like, so many people so early on are like, "Who? What's? Who are my competitors? I need to worry about this." And I'm just like, mm, I, "Like, I just don't think that." Like, it, I remember maybe when the first time I ever thought of this was like when I worked in TV, and so I'd be at the TV station, I'd be working there, and they'd be like, "What is so and so doing? What is the other station doing? What is the other station oh, wow. doing? We need to cover that." And I'm like, "So you're telling me that the person at home is sitting there." With their remote, and they're going boom, 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 boom. No, I don't like. I'm like, no, I don't think they do that. Uh, maybe when a commercial comes up, but it's just like th that's not normal, like reality of how a scenario goes. Tim, no, seriously, this is this is this. They be like, oh, they're doing it, so we need to do it. And I'm just like, this is so obnoxious. Hmm. Like, so, so why do you think people are so worried about their competition, and and like almost solely focus on it in sometimes where it's just like, I mean, a SWOT analysis, right? One of the things is your competition. I, whenever I hear that, I'm like, I could care less about the competition. Like just, if you're worried about them, just beat them. But like, what does your customer want? What are they like? like it, it's just, it just seems so weird that they get so ingrained on the comp competition well, side of it. It, it So, right. If you're focused on just bulk, getting getting growth over everything and you're counting by user right that's not going to get you anywhere and i think that's where the competition comes in where you're just like throwing sheer numbers at it right if you built a great product and you're hyper carrying each person that comes on board right they're going to go be all the marketing you ever wanted to be right someone that shops at target doesn't go to walmart you know or, or vice versa if you're a coke person you're a coke person you're not a pepsi person there's no competition there so like you know just building a great great product and and really hyper caring your users as they come on board there, there is no competition once you on like once someone becomes a user and you've taken care of them and care about them as a user why would you worry who right you well, know why do we have yeah. to keep saying that message like, it, like it's just it's so like think, the, the journalist it's yeah it's a narrative sold to all early stage startups though right like you're like oh you gotta get like push 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 get there first get there first right that's not true right look over 20 years look over the last 30 years of startups being first didn't get you anywhere apple's never really been first in anything no right where <laughs> where's myspace right where's <laughs> like where you know where uh you know before instagram right how many competitors were the exact same product like that's not, you know. Yeah, oh, they sold it better, right? I mean, it was a damn MP3 player. That's all it was. Ooh, it, with the iPod. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know, a good one. There was early. And Apple. how? I mean, they're i they're, they're these things. What are, what are they? What are they called? AirPods. Yeah, AirPods. that's a multi-billion-dollar business. I mean, they're not the last person, okay. the first person to do that. The I, AirPods. I mean, the AirPods are genius because you took something that was completely unmarketable, which was a Bluetooth headset, become like so faux pas. And then you brought it back into fashion and sold it at an even higher price. Like think think of all the Bluetooth headset companies that were out. It was like a thing. And now everybody walks around with AirPods in their ear talking on them like it's well, the aura of Apple, right? It's the yeah. it's the there's there's something special. You know you're getting a product that's not gonna be crap, that's gonna last you for a while. I mean, I remember I had a computer that I got in like 2010. Sold it to my buddy in 2018, and he still uses it today. And it's 2020. That's that is a crazy thing, man. Like with with Apple laptops, man. With their MacBooks, man. It's like the only reason that they stop working is because they uh, they uh, I can't think of the phrase right now when they uh, no longer update them. Or they you know those things just go forever. <laughs> they do. I mean, it's 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 incredible. And you know the iWatch, just just last one, like the what is it called? iWatch, Apple, Apple Watch, Watch, whatever. 
that is not the best watch in the world. It's not even close, right? I mean, they're they're announcing features that I've I've heard them talk about. Oh, we can now detect what stroke you're doing in swimming. I'm like, okay, well, Garmin's been doing that for like ten years, so it's funny that they're pitching that as a as a feature. I saw that on a commercial, but I mean, what do those watches sell for? Three to five hundred dollars. I mean, it's unbelievable, and it's it, it's just good for them. Happy for them. Happy I own some stock in them. Like, it's just wild. The wild ride for Apple. Congratulations. Keep up the good work. I agree. Um, I agree. So let's, uh, I know we talked about Click It a lot and, it, and it's been great. Just so that we have it for the record, if I was in an elevator with you meeting you for the first time and it was, you know, 57 minutes ago instead of uh, right now, like what's the, what is Click It? What's the, what's the elevator pitch? Um, Click It lets collectors buy, sell, trade, and share more of what they love from their community, brands, and retailers. That's the that's the that's our one line pitch, right? And if we wanted to expand that, um, pretty much, you know, putting everyone that loves something in a room together, and just then enabling them uh, in the in the most positive way to share it, to buy it, to sell it, benefits everyone. We have a million features to give them, but it's not the features at the end of the day. It's just having a positive community. And a positive experience while you're doing all of that. So from sharing it to buying it to selling it, and then partnering you with the brands and retailers that are going to empower you uh, to do that thing you love. That's what we're about. Yeah, I think it's great. It's uh, community's huge. We what uh, in terms of community within the startup space? Are are you part of any communities uh, in terms yep. of like different founders to bounce off ideas off of one another? Yeah, so I'm in, of course, 757 Startup Studio and start, 757 uh, Startup Ecosystem. Um, and then uh, for Marketplaces, I'm in Everything Marketplace uh, on there as well. I help, I'm in almost most of the office hours helping the other Marketplace founders uh, with their technical problems. Um, I, I would say, like, getting help. This is a very hard path. <laughs> it's not, it's not being a, a, a entrepreneur is not exciting like it's a, your highs are high your lows are low so you need that community aspect to keep you going to help push you um and then the more people you can meet right just the more ideas you can get in your head see things differently um how other people might experience your product it's really helpful to be involved in community and i think like for us like the 757 startup community has been fantastic met some amazing uh, founders amazing companies and then for marketplaces, there's really no other, there's no better place than everything marketplace to uh, push your knowledge in the marketplace space. Um, where'd, you, where'd you grow where up? Oh, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, in the middle of nowhere. So Is that where Walmart opened? Yeah, that's started? Walmart. Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. So I, I was there uh, for almost all my life. My, my dad um, was in the military as well. And I was there, and then we, I, I grew, like, as a little kid, I grew up in Turkey um, when he was stationed there uh, at Insulik Air Base. So, um, yeah, a little, little bit everywhere. Spent some time and, there myself. What, Turkey or? Uh, at at Insulik, or... yeah, that's where Terry and I met. And we're married in Insulik. Yeah. We oh, is that what the coordinates are? Mm hmm we, yeah. we lived in the village right outside. We get, they didn't have base housing yeah. at the time, so. Yeah, we lived off base, too. Yeah. It was a really good experience. I'd go and get the ekmek bread every morning for like a quarter. <laughs> yeah. We live right next to like a mosque right there. It was a really great experience. Like, that not, uh, like the start of Ramadan was like the craziest thing. I mean, it was just like, man, dude, do you want to talk about cultural experience? Wow. Yeah, it was really, it was honestly like really great to have that experience. And then getting to see it all again, like being in the Navy myself, I've done a, like I've done so many deployments over that time, like solved from everything down all of Asia, all the Middle East, um, and of course, all of Europe, like getting to go see everywhere, experience all the different cultures. Uh, that's something like for Click It is really important for us to, to expand to like, you know, South American market, uh, Japan as well, um, and building great products for their communities too. And that's something we're, we're trying to get to in the first like nine months uh, at launch is to go global to those communities because they're so big. That And our user base, like when we look at social analytics, anything, that's where our they're all at. Uh, you did 15 years in the military. I think you said is when did you recognize that? Hey, like I want to be a guy who starts businesses and get out. And was that an easy transition? Was there 
uh, no, process to no. that? No, everybody, every man. Oh my god! So I, for the last ten years in the Navy, I had the easiest job in the world. I was I was called a CSman. A I I worked for a Master Chief only, uh, and they thought I was pretty stupid for quite right. I gave up my retirement, of course, uh, to come do this. Uh, so <laughs> got a lot of pushback, but I would I would sit there and watch every day, and I planned all this for probably the. Uh, like 24 months prior to getting out, I sat there and I wrote plans for, for two years sitting on my console while on deployment um, to be able to go put all this stuff into motion and how each one of the, like, as I build, click it out, and then the offshoots. So when I talk about building an ecosystem, we're building an entire ecosystem behind it. It's not click it is one product under that umbrella. Um, and yeah, I thought through that for probably about 24 months. I, I started going to TAPS like 24 months out, went through the transition. Uh, yeah, got a lot of pushback from from my master master chief and uh, yeah, yeah, and we talked about that because uh, I punched it uh, almost thirteen years and I got some pushback, so I can only imagine how much pushback you got at fifteen. But yeah, to, to be fair, like I I would have really liked it. Like so, my next set of orders, I was on a ship here in Norfolk. My next set was to row to Spain on another ship for the remainder of my career, I, I would have made E7 in that time and I would have got forced. So my, my master chief had tried to retire at 25. Of course they said no. And you, you know, you don't really, you don't realize you can't quit once you go over 20. It's whatever the Navy says. So you can't just quit. And I knew that's where I would end up. And it was really important to me. I had a goal of trying to make it, you know, I said 45 was my goal. So I'm trying to make it before 45 to like just having a really solid, uh, entrepreneurial career. What's something you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Ooh. Um, well, for me, uh, one of the things I, I want to do, uh, so um, the 757 Startup Studio is inside of the assembly building, and Drew, uh, who owns Grow, or was was uh, had a Grow here in Norfolk, um, I've watched grow and in, in, in what they've done over the last few years, like for our community here. So that's from the Selden market to, to the art on the sides of the buildings to building the assembly. And now it's other phases of assembly and helping the community. Um, we are going to be Norfolk based forever. Uh, and one of the things I want to do is help build ocean view back to being fantastic. So uh, that's something like I've, I've lived in ocean view for about nine years now. Uh, and I just want to make it a really great beach community and then solve a lot of the problems in our community. That's something that, um, that we haven't talked about that I want to do here uh, in our own local community. Super admirable. Um, I, I look forward to, as the ecosystem here continues to mature, seeing some some successful exits of some kind and then and just starting to see everything come full circle to plant more seeds, to build more. Uh, and I, I think that, well, we're starting to get close. I mean, we, there's, there's definitely been some, some exits, um, especially in the last few months, there's, there's been a lot more activity than, than we've seen before. But, Exciting times. What, what exits yeah, happened in the last few months? Uh, I knew you were going to put me on the spot and body was one that, uh, they were, they were just acquired. Um, is that was the medical? Uh, yeah, they did like the artificial uh, tendons to like do yeah, uh, rotator cuff yeah. surgery and whatnot. Yeah. Um, TBD on the rest of them. I, yeah, I'll get you out of that one. We're, we're, hey, we're running out of time, guys. You're going to have to tune yeah, into the right. next and show. It's just, uh, I'm on the spot out. right now. But one just, oh, uh, um, so yeah, Major Clarity was, um, that, that was in fact an acquisition. So, uh, so there was an exit of some kind there, uh, but there's been a few. And if you want to know more, go to starwheel.org yeah. where they will tell you all of the stuff. Um, Ricky, it's been great. Looking forward to seeing you continue to grow. Click it. I love the name and um, continued success. Looking forward hey, to uh, chatting soon. Before we piece some pancakes out of here, are you still in beta? Is Click is still in beta? Is it open? How we are still in beta. Is... We have a couple of shows coming up. Um, and then after the show, we, we have a show in May. 
or a convention, not a show, but a convention. Um, and after that, we'll, we're going to completely come out of beta and be a uh, live product for anyone to come and create a market. So are, are you, you taking, is there any way somebody to get on the list for, uh, to be one of the first people? Um, yes. If you want to, if you want to create your click, just go to clickit.com, uh, fill out the form, tell us what you want to build. So for the first 40 ish plus markets that we've, we've had sign on, we, they have exclusivity inside of their market space, uh, for the first year. So that's one of the benefits of getting in early is you're going to have the, the market space for that, uh, for a year out. Uh, and that's pretty big. Um, and then we'll be releasing to everyone. May fifth or sixth uh, is going to be our official release. So you're saying that the the form that I filled out while doing this show that said wrestling, say, exactly, I get, exactly. I get a year, I get a year <laughs> exclusivity. Yes, but wrestling <sighs> is huge in the seven five seven. So you got Why'd some you say bud? No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. I don't worry about competition. Remember, <laughs> we already talked about this. Um, I may. We'll discuss this later. That's fine. <laughs> Ricky, I appreciate time. Tim, always. Always a pleasure. Time and um, chat soon. See y'all. Peace. Peace.